Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor Podcast, part of the constellation of podcasts powered by Christianity Today. Good to see you, Doug. Good morning. Morning, JR. How have you been? Not too bad. It's February, so, you know, everything good. The days are getting longer. Uh, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. (laughs) You know? Yeah, one (laughs) one of the things that... uh, that you and I have found is that February is a tough month for, for people. Yes. Um, and it just feels like people come out of the woodwork to be able to, to call and the intensity we've had over the last 11 months. Um, we're certainly anticipating this February being uh, full of those conversations all the way to the end. I, I think in some ways it is God's grace that it is the shortest month on the calendar um, because at least here in the Northeast, people really struggle the cold days, the overcast days, the longing for spring to come. This can be a hard season for people's souls and even for pastors as well. Yeah, and I, I, I do feel, especially with where we've been in the last 11 months, that just, I'm, I'm kind of bracing myself to say, how do I stay healthy? Mm. How do I connect well with friends and people? How do I get outside? And it's hard, right? Because in the Northeast, February may mean cold and rainy or cold <laughs> and snowy. If it's cold yeah. and snowy, I'm great. If it's cold and rainy, it's like, ugh, it's just the worst. Yeah. And we just want to acknowledge that seasonal affective disorder is real. And for those of you, if you struggle with that, you are not alone. If you're a pastor helping others who are feeling um, the blues, but you yourself are feeling that as well, we just want you to know, like, we we get it, we understand. And uh, there are many pastors that we know that struggle with seasonal uh, affective, seasonal affective disorder. And so that's you. We just want to encourage you and just say, um, you're not alone. That's normal. Uh, for many pastors, and uh, to continue to push through. And I think theologically, the beauty of knowing that spring is coming is that sort of already not yet sort of kingdom dynamic that we live that uh, viscerally, physically, physiologically in our own bodies. So um, anyway, you may have heard us say something at the beginning about Christianity Today, and you may think, what was that about? Well, if you weren't able to tune in last week, which was our first episode of season five, Doug, can you believe it? Season five already. I feel like we just started the MMP. I mean, we're past the terrible toddler stage now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all uphill from here. <laughs> but in last week's first episode of season five, we made a big announcement about Christianity Today, didn't we, Doug? We did. And so we are so excited. Uh, Christianity Today um, and and Monday Morning Pastor Podcast came to a bit of an arrangement. And so we are part of a network of podcasts that Christian Today powers. We're just so excited about that. Uh, we feel like it's a real strategic um, partnership because of Christian Today's work in loving, supporting pastors, in getting people into scripture. Uh, we just, we're just so grateful and honored to be part of this network. Um, and in addition, we'll have some partners that you'll hear about in certain episodes sharing resources and opportunities, other helpful tools that you may, that'll help you in this journey. Uh, so be looking and listening for those in this season. And, and as always, um, Monday Morning Pastor, we exist to, to love, support, and equip pastors. And we love even the folks that are part of this family that who aren't pastors uh, with the title, but are pastors to their communities. And so it really helps us when you share um, an episode or when you tag us or when you leave a review, these things are just so important for us. And also when you email us and let us know how you're doing and let us know some things that could be helpful. Um, so Jared, tell us a little bit about the episode that we have coming up today. Yeah, we're going to be talking with a pastor who wrote a book specifically for church planters. However, 
Doug and I do not want you to tune out because if you are not a church planner, this applies to every pastor. Just trust us on this. Um, this isn't just about the the ins and outs of how to plant a church. This is the ins and outs of how to have a healthy soul, which can apply to anyone who's a kingdom practitioner, anyone who's a pastor, whether it's a capital P formal pastoral role or a lowercase p, you are pastoring and ministering in whatever role you're in. So we encourage you to tune in, to follow us along with us, even if you're not a church planner, because we really believe you're going to be deeply impacted by this conversation. Tim Mori is the founding and lead pastor at Life Covenant Church in Torrance, California. He serves as a church planning coach for the Evangelical Covenant Church and an adjunct professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, where he has also earned his Doctor of Ministry degree. He is the author of a new book, one that we are going to explore in this conversation titled Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul, Nine Questions for the Spiritually Formed Pastor. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim Mori. Well, Tim, thanks so much for your willingness to join us on the Monday Morning Pastor podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm really stoked to be with you. Yeah, well, we're glad you're here. And we know that you're a pastor, you're a church planning coach, you're an author, and we want to talk about all three of those. But I want to start with a question about your coaching role. And because we all know we've been in an incredibly tumultuous season, as you're coaching leaders and pastors and church planners in this season, I'm curious, what, what are you noticing? What patterns or themes are bubbling to the surface in the lives of pastors during such an intense season that we've all been through? Yeah. Well, you know, first thing that comes to mind is fatigue. <laughs> I think uh, the pace of change has been so relentless, you know, and, and I don't know if it's been this way for you guys too, but I know in our church, it feels like, you know, as we've traveled through COVID and then you know, our racial unrest and our political nuttiness, it, it feels like every week the game changes. Mm -hmm. And just when we find what, uh, what we think we need to bring to the church this particular week, you know, it feels like it's obsolete the next. And that's everything from the technology by which we're meeting together to uh, the, the, just how rapidly the, the topics are changing and what people are feeling is, is changing so fast. And so just keeping up with that, I, I feel like there's a level of exhaustion that I've experienced and I certainly see in those that I coach as well. Yeah, Tim, I think even as you mentioned that, um, first of all, thanks for naming those things. Uh, I, I, I feel like I'm hearing a lot of the same stuff, just fatigue, but I, I never thought about the fatigue of even just the technology aspect of things. So I think that's really helpful. What are some stories that you're hearing that are really encouraging you right now? Yeah, you know, um, yeah, that's a great question. I think the upside, you could say, of a lot of this is, sadly, not in every church, but in, in a lot of churches, like people are really coming together. Uh, it's It's been encouraging those, those glimpses we've seen of the church being the church, where People go into crisis mode and they're like, okay, let's step up. Let's take care of each other. Um, and, and even, uh, well, there's one story from our church. I, I know we've been blessed to see that, but also we've been really encouraged by how many folks are coming to our church for the first time on live stream that 
that haven't come previously, right? Like I'm where I'm sitting now in my kind of pseudo home office, which is basically uh, like a little desk in four square foot of my bedroom. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm looking out this glass door and I can see the homes of two neighbors that we've prayed for and we've invited to church for years and they haven't come, you know, and they're coming now. And we're seeing that story repeated and we're just like, okay, you know, God, none of us would have chosen this, but whatever you're doing, in spite of it, in the midst of it, we're all in. So I, I'm hearing those kinds of stories too, and I'm super encouraged by those. Yeah, great. Well, and Tim, we mentioned this before we started recording, but Doug and I absolutely loved your book, uh, Planting a Church Without Losing Your Soul, Nine Questions for the Spiritually Formed Pastor. And uh, again, working for a church planning organization, being a church planner myself, uh, my goodness, I, this is a book I wish I had myself when we were planting our church currently. and. Um, absolutely love it. So I know this book is a book about church planting, mm -hmm. but in many ways it seems to be applicable to all pastors as well. I mean, there's some translation that needs to happen, but so, so helpful. And your book is structured around nine questions. So I'm going to do something a little bit unique, but I'm going to actually read those nine questions aloud just to give our listeners a framework for right. the book itself. Uh, and then I've got a question for you on the back end of that. So Okay. Um, the first one, you talk about how to be a, both a pastor and a person. And then the questions, how can I plan for my own spiritual formation? You talk about growth, uh, suffering. How can I embrace a life peppered with difficulty? Uh, then you talk about power. Do others experience me as a, as a safe person? Obscurity. Uh, can I minister without being noticed? Six, failure. Am I resilient in the face of setbacks and defeats? Uh, seven, pace. Am I treating church planning like a marathon or a sprint? Uh, then you talk about team. Have I relinquished my ambition to be a superhero? Uh, conflict. How do I handle conflict or difficult people graciously? And then lastly, family. Am I leading in a way that brings life to those dearest to me? Now, as someone who loves questions, I mean, you touch on so many of the topics that we've talked about here on the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. Uh, I love these. How did you come up with these questions as the framework? for the book itself? Uh, you know, I guess in some ways it's, it's kind of autobiographical. You know, it's, um, this flows out of, out of the work I've done with church planters over the last 15 years or so, but I think even more so just out of, out of myself, out of my own failures and triumphs. And uh, I've seen, I've seen these areas in in different ways and to different degrees, pop up as really serious stumbling blocks for, well, as you said, for pastors in general, but maybe especially for church planters. You know, and uh, my observation through the years has been that if there's something that's going to undermine us as church planters, more often than not, it's not a lack of ministry skills. It's it's a a flat spot in our spiritual life. It's that we're we're underdeveloped in an area that we're blind to. And then, you know, that, that pops up and it bites us and leads to our unraveling and harm to ourselves, and our families, and those we lead. So that's, that's sort of the genesis of these questions and the book itself. Hmm. Which one of these, Tim, did you find, if, if many of these are autobiographical, which one of these did you have to learn the hard way the most? Or which... <laughs> Which one of these topics did you find to be, wow, I'm still learning. I'm still wrestling with that in my own journey. Yeah. Well, I learned them all the hard way. 
<laughs> um, but uh, oh man, I'll, you know, I'll say I'll say power mm. is one that I think I was especially blind to, and um, I think by the grace of God, I, I'm probably on the gentler side by nature. So that maybe kept me out of some trouble too, but I have been and probably still am in some ways really naive to the amount of power that my words carry, mm. that um, the way that that congregants look at me and look to me and and just the real power that what I do and what I say has to either give life or take life mm. and um, it, it's been hard for me to accept that i'm um even to acknowledge that that's a reality has been hard for me um but i think in some ways that's that's the first step of going okay this is real this is true whether i like it or not quote paul people are going to follow my example as i follow the example of christ so i need to learn how to deal with that responsibly I love the quote that you had at the beginning of chapter four when you talk about power, when you quoted our uh, someone we love, Dallas Willard, uh, that Jesus is looking for people he can trust with power. Uh, so we've seen power wielded well, and we've seen it wielded very poorly, especially in this season in our country. And we've also seen scandals within churches across the across the nation. Why is power so? How shall we say it? Powerful, <laughs> and why do we as spiritual leaders? get it wrong much of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me give a personal answer and then sort of a more systemic answer. I think personally power is intoxicating, uh, but in a way that we, we, uh, we don't always see coming, you know, it's, it's sort of the strong drink that somebody slipped into the punch and you don't realize how you're being affected until you're on your second, third cup and go, hey, I think somebody put something in here. <laughs> mm, um, so I think that's part of it on the personal level. And then uh, I'll say systemically, I think that one of our cultural blind spots is that we are not collectively very tuned into power. And I, I cite this in the book, but uh, Richard Foster was really helpful to me in this and uh, a book called Sex, Money, and Power. Um, it got retitled something else. I don't remember what now, but the original was Sex, Money, and Power. <clears throat> and his contention is that we're very aware of sins that have to do with sex and money. And in the church, we're very quick to address those leaders who engage in sins involving sex or money are going to be reprimanded and and you know, may lose their ministry altogether, but power. He asserts that the power, it's worse than we don't even see it. Often we reward it. The pastor who is overly authoritarian, who demeans or belittles, who's prone to anger, that sometimes culturally we see those things as characteristics of a strong leader. And so not only do we not rebuke it, we reward it. And those pastors ascend to greater responsibility, bigger churches, national positions, and we just continue to perpetuate the problem. Yeah, I, I think as, I mean, my goodness, I feel like that's a timely word even for 
just today and what we're noticing within the culture at large. And I appreciate how you look at that both systemically and within the church. Um, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate is just the title of the first chapter of the book, How to Be Both a Pastor and a Person. Uh, and that's what we say at MMP all the time. We really want to strike that balance well, and it can be really uh, a challenge. And so why do we get the idea and where do we get the idea that we can actually be both a pastor and a person? Yeah, you know, I think that that's one of the areas where as, as pastors, and I, I'm quoting Archibald Hart here, or at least paraphrasing him, usually when we get in trouble, it's not because we forget we're a pastor, it's because we forget we're a person. Um, that's good. Path to moral downfall for those of us in ministry is is usually not a straightforward path. Uh, it usually comes from us acting as though we're superhuman, uh, taking on in some ways the role of God. You know, how hard is it for us as pastors to say, I don't know? You know, we we don't think about it this way, but we pretend we're omniscient. You know, how hard is it as pastors to say, I can't meet with you, I'm too tired, right? But mm. we're when we fail to do that, we're acting as though we're all powerful and we're not. You know, we we put ourselves in different ways in the place of God. And I think in part that's sometimes that's because other people put us there and we we believe our own press. You know, we we don't resist that or maybe we don't even see it. But other people will kind of keep hero worship on us. And rather than than being like Paul and Barnabas running into the crowd and tearing their clothes and saying, don't worship us, we're not God. Uh, we, uh, we soak it in and we start to believe it. And we act in ways that deny our humanity, that deny that we are we're embodied creatures, uh, that deny our, our sinfulness that's not yet fully redeemed. And that, that ends up biting us. Mm. Shortly after you introduce this idea of being a pastor and a person in chapter one, you talk about the difference between a warehouse and a warehouseman. Uh, can you articulate the difference and why that's so crucial for pastors to know the difference of being a warehouse and a warehouseman? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a word my spiritual director gave to me probably 17 years ago, and I feel like I'm still learning it. But uh, this, this was his observation. I was just being crushed under the various problems our church was experiencing, all my worries around those problems. And, and this was his analogy. He said, Tim, you're acting like a warehouse and you need to be a warehouseman. And what he meant by that was uh, the, the warehouse contains all the stuff. All the warehouseman does is get on his forklift and move it around to where it's supposed to be. And God is the only one who can hold all of the problems in our church, all the questions, all the storylines that are going on. Uh, that's his job, uh, not ours. And when when we get into the wrong role and we move from being the warehouse men and setting those problems where they need to be at the feet of the Lord, and instead we try to hold those and carry those, it chooses us more than we were meant to handle. You know, you I, I really appreciate the differentiation of, of those two roles. So what would you say to the pastor right now who, who just had a realization moment where he's saying, I've, I, I, I'm a warehouse. 
what are some simple practices or ways that that have been really helpful for you that would help help one become a warehouseman or a warehouse woman yeah for me kind of at that point i i always direct people towards the rule of life and say okay so so what's your plan for your spiritual formation because it's always going to be somewhat customized right based on how god has wired any one of us uh, but for me personally uh, there's there's a few that are pretty indispensable for me. Uh, the practice of solitude and silence, I think, tops the list. Um, you know, I, I have a noisy life, and we live in a noisy world. And I think outside of intentional times to get quiet before God and meditate on Scripture, I'm not able to see my own junk, let alone create enough space for the Holy Spirit to do something about that junk. So. Silence and solitude is key. Uh, Sabbath keeping. Um, I am prone to workaholism, and I need the gift that the Sabbath is to slow me down, to give my body and mind the rest that it needs, um, to remind me that I'm not God, uh, that I'm not the warehouse. Uh, the, this is a Eugene Peterson thing, but one of the beautiful things about Sabbath is just how how it reminds us over and over again that the world keeps spinning even when we stop working. And so that one's essential for me. Uh, physical exercise is huge. Uh, that was not huge when we first started Life Covenant Church. Um, I had a horrible diet and avoided exercise as if my life depended on it. Um, but I've <laughs> I've found in my 40s, I've found a healthier rhythm in those things. And uh, it, it's amazing the interconnection between our, our souls, our body, and our minds. And um, that's been super helpful for me. Um, and, and I'll list just one more for me, but that's, that's intentionally cultivating joy. Mm. Uh, there, is, there is so much good around us. And God is so good to us. Even in really crummy years, you know, even in 2020, I mean, God is so good. And to rehearse that, to do things that remind me of that, that help me really engage in that truth, are are really important for sustaining me mm. as yeah. uh, uh, as we're on this crazy journey that we're all on. Mm. Can you dig in a little bit more to that idea of cultivating joy? I mean, yeah. Doug and I are smiling because we just did an entire series in the fall. Uh, leading up to Advent on joy. And this, when I coach uh, planners and pastors around the country, uh, one of the main things when I say, what do you want to work on today? Like what's, what's important we want to, we want to explore. They say, I have no joy. How do I get my joy back? So Ooh. my sense is if we're hearing that a lot uh, yeah. and we just came out of a season of Advent where joy is one of the candles on the, you know, mm -hmm. on the Advent wreath, how do we go about doing that? Because I think the misnomer is, or the misconception is Tim, just, just try really hard, you know, just joy yourself up, be happy. Yeah. And of course we know intellectually that joy and happiness are not the same. You talked about gratitude and we know that joy and gratitude are connected, but can you talk very tangibly and ridiculously practically about how you yeah. go about cultivating joy in your own journey? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I think what first got me thinking about this was years ago, hearing an interview with David Letterman where the interviewer asked who is happy. And he said he measures his happiness in 24-hour chunks, you know, just depending on how the last night's show went. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, that's me as a pastor. Mm. You know, I'm, how did I do last Sunday? How did I do in that counseling session? How, you know, and what a fickle thing to, to make our happiness, our joy dependent on. Um, just like you said, JR, I, I think we can't just try harder. We have to train ourselves to be godly, to use Paul's words, and that includes joy. So a couple specifics for me. Uh, one of those is paying good attention to my, I'll call it my energy flow. Um, just paying good attention to the times when I am going to be more naturally up and more naturally down and working around those, right? So um, I, I know most people take, or most pastors take their Sabbath on Monday. I take Fridays. Uh, but I found, and this has been more the case this year with how demanding it's been, Monday mornings, I'm kind of useless. So lately, in addition to making Friday my Sabbath, Monday morning, I just kind of ease into the day. You know, I'm doing hobbies for most of the morning. You know, I don't actually do anything productive till probably at least 10 or 11. Um, but really giving good attention to that. When do I have energy? And and then based on that, what do I give my best energies to? Yeah, you're, you're speak. I mean, you're speaking my language. I, I just want to play. I want to. I want to kind of challenge that for a minute, and not because I'm disagreeing, because I just want to hear what you would say. But talk to me about the pastor who says, "Yeah, that sounds great, but you don't know what it's like at my church right now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I I know that pastor, and I've been that pastor. Um, <laughs> uh, no, and I I don't disagree with that reality at yeah. all. But to me, it's it's sort of like um, the same thing applies to Sabbath, where like if we wait until things are calm enough for us to take a Sabbath, and we will never get there. Uh, and I put joy in that same category. We have to prioritize things like joy, you know, paying attention to energy being one part of that, taking a Sabbath. Um, but we, we can't wait until we get out of the crazy. In fact, I would contend it doesn't look like the fastest way out of the crazy, but it actually is the fastest way out of the crazy to pull back from what seems urgent and say, no, I am going to follow the spirit into habits of Sabbath, into habits of rest, habits of, you know, good bodily care, good spiritual care. And, and in that, I'm going to show up a better pastor into all the chaos that is my church. And I'm going to leave them through it that much better. We're going to take a quick break to introduce you to some of our partners. Thanks for that. And and uh, you also talk about obscurity, which I want to I want to dive into because I think this is an idol. I think uh, this is one of the idols that most pastors don't have the courage to name. Um, can I minister without being noticed? I'm so glad you asked such a direct question on that. But in it, you talked about the relative nature of the term small church. And, uh, you know, we, uh, Doug and I were part of uh, something that I started called the Epic Fail Pastors Conference, where we always see these ginormous churches up front, you know, thousand member churches, uh, you know, they're opening their seventh campus and talking about the, oh, how difficult that is. And we're going, I'm trying to get someone to cover children's ministry on Sunday morning. <laughs> right. And so, uh, Explain this idea of, quote unquote, the small church. I just pastor a small church and how we've just, the, that relative nature has been so bent out of proportion in this, in this season. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, let me first thank you guys for Epic Fail. Uh, you guys played an important role in my journey with what you did there. So you were forerunners to this chapter on obscurity, and I thank you for it. Um, I think you're exactly right, JR, that this is an idol. When we look at the numbers, you kind of look at raw data for the church in America, and then you expand this out globally and historically, what you find is that overwhelmingly, the typical size church is what we would, I think probably incorrectly, deem a small church. Um, you know, 75, 100, 150 people. And that's, that is not, it's a misnomer to say it's a small church. That is a typical church. The average, uh, or the, the median, I should say, size of a church in America is 75 people. And seeing that somewhere along the line got me asking the question, well, what's going on here? Is it the case that all of these churches are failures, that they are not employing the right church growth technique, that they don't pray hard enough, that they're harboring some secret sin that keeps them small? Or is it that that perhaps this is God's kind of normal way of working in people's lives and making us into apprentices of Jesus, is having us in these sort of family-sized units? Um, and I, I think, probably in large part because of the church growth movement, and then um, you know just our own, our own uh, unquenchable egos as pastors. Uh, the sometimes stated, but at least unstated goal has often been be a pastor who builds a huge church. That's what it means to be successful. And because that only happens to about one percent of pastors. The others walk around feeling like failure. Gets really bent out of proportion on that. It's almost like we watch, uh, all we do is watch the beauty pageant yeah. and then look around and wonder, man, we just think we're just so ugly. Yeah. Uh, if that's our measurement of what we think the average person is, is someone on the beauty pageant. That's right. And, you know, I'll say this too. It, it's been interesting. The book's only been out a few weeks, but I have had more feedback about the obscurity chapter than any other chapter so far. Mm. It's, seems like for a number of people um this is something that's not necessarily on the radar but then it's named and they're like oh man i'm totally affected by this yeah it 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 almost reminds me of a question that we ask almost all of our guests and that's you know what what lies are you tempted to believe and i think when you name something like obscurity it's all of a sudden we recognize that oh my gosh that's a lie that i'm really tempted to believe but i want to just flip that and ask you you know, Tim, what's the lie that you're tempted to believe this season right now? Hmm. Oh, boy. I love that question. I think, um, I think the lie that I'm probably tempted to believe right now is that I am not enough for this moment, for leading my church in this moment. And, uh, you know, you, you know, even this past weekend, you know, trying to respond in a way that's both pastoral and prophetic to the events in Washington, D.C., and um, place those properly within the larger story and not be simplistic. And you know, in, in many ways, I feel like, like uh, I won't say total swing and a miss, but in many ways, I'm looking at this past Sunday and going, man, I could have done that so much better. 
And and I think those kinds of experiences just lead me to go, man, have I got what it takes? Um, am I the right person to be leading this church in this moment? And um, on one level, I think that's that's a healthy question to ask. But on most levels, at least in me, it's not coming from a place of health. It's coming from a place of self-doubt and insecurity and not trusting that the God who placed me here is going to equip me with what I need to be up to this moment. Yeah, I, I think that there's, I think many, I know I felt that exact same thing. Uh, in It's almost like if I could give 2020 a title, it would be, you know, what the heck am I doing? I, I clearly... <laughs> clearly uh you know i'm the wrong guy for this you know or the wrong gal for this particular calling in this particular time and season um you know we one of the things that we also talk about a lot are just uh ways that we we build life and and what does it look like to be replenished and you mentioned some of those activities already in terms of like paying attention to sabbath and health and some of those things but i just wanted to ask you 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 kind of mentioned spiritual director a spiritual director what role does a spiritual director have in your life to help you be you know to help you experience a replenishment and refreshment and health in your in in ministry and in life yeah you know a spiritual director that has been such a gift for me and in fact in in our tribe i'm Part of the evangelical covenant church one of the things that we say to our pastors is we want you to be either in therapy or spiritual direction all the time like don't wait till you break just make this part of your discipline and mm. and for me direction has been sort of the right outlet and uh, for those who aren't sort of personally familiar with it <clears throat> the um kind of my best way of understanding it is the first director that i had he he had this painting on his wall of Jesus sitting with these two disciples that are sitting under this tree. And you could tell by the body language and how people were kind of oriented to each other in this painting, that the one friend was helping the other friend to understand what Jesus was saying to him. And my director said, that's kind of my role, is just to, to wade into your life and listen to you and listen to the Holy Spirit and help you understand what Jesus is saying to you at any given moment. And that's been a really important discipline for me, uh, to have that person who can speak that. And, um, and, and I think in particular, I think you guys will understand this too, but um, you know, pastoring a church is one hat that I wear. The other major hat that I wear is being a pastor to other pastors. And so in, in some ways, when I sit with my spiritual director, that's one of the few hours in my month where this person is solely dedicated to paying attention to my spiritual life. And there's nothing reciprocal, right? Which maybe that sounds weird and selfish, but I find I, I need that. This person who is just going to put all their attention on me, say, okay, Tim, let's let's help you grow up bigger and stronger in Jesus. Tim, what do you know now you wish you knew when you started as a pastor? <laughs> oh boy. That's a long list, JR. Um, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll say the first thing that comes to mind and, and that's, uh, I wish I had known how insecure I was 
when I started as a pastor. That particular piece of self-awareness, uh, because I, I think that insecurity can lead to any manner of dysfunction. Um, but for me, that's, that's probably the biggest, to be more aware that that was an area that I needed to really intentionally work on with Jesus and grow in if I was going to not let my own junk get in the way of me pastoring people. Yeah, well, that's great. We're so grateful for your willingness to be on. And if it's all right, Doug, I'll end with this final question for you, Tim. Um, What would you want to say to pastors and church planners right now in this intense season? We've been through a lot. We're probably going to go through more. Uh, What word of encouragement, advice, reminder, uh, what as just sort of a pastoral moment, like what's what's the burden on your heart that for, I don't know, 90 seconds or so, you just want to encourage or challenge pastors in this season? Yeah, you know, I would say to my brothers and sisters in the pastorate, just to remind you, what you're doing is vitally important. What you're doing matters so, so much. And I know it's the nature of the role that uh, it's hard to see the oak tree growing when you're just sitting there looking at it. It's something you only see looking back. And I would just encourage you, don't be dismayed when it seems like nothing is happening. What you're doing is of eternal importance. It is of kingdom importance. The role you play in your people's lives and the life of your community, whether you see it right now or not, it is eternally significant. And I would just encourage you to keep leaning deeply into Jesus and keep going. Uh, Someday, you will look back and you'll see what God has done through your faithfulness and through your humility by his grace. Doug, I thoroughly enjoyed having a chance to hear from Tim. What a great, great mind and heart that he has. Super. Well, like what a super cool guy too. Just really appreciated. Uh, it's, I feel like he's one of those guys that I met where his tone matches his soul. Yes. That's a great description. I felt, um, I just felt myself saying, man, this guy's a good pastor. Yeah. You know, you could just tell he's kind of pastor oozing out of his pores yeah. uh, as he spoke, which was just really <laughs> exciting. So, you know, one of the things that he talked about right at the very beginning, which I don't know if it impacted you or struck you, but it, it definitely impacted me. Um, we talked about fatigue and exhaustion. He said, every week the game changes. Yeah. Well, isn't that true? I mean, just even for our listeners to let them know a little bit, you and I, um, sometimes we feel like the game changes every week that sometimes when we've recorded a little bit in advance, like by the time it gets to when our episodes release, like we feel like, oh my gosh, the world has changed so much. And so we feel that, uh, not just with sermons, but also with podcast recordings as well. But, um, yeah, every week the game changes. I thought that was a really powerful insight as to why we're so exhausted. Yeah. And I really appreciated the Archibald Hart quote that he yeah. reminded us, you know, we for, we forget we are a person. We don't forget that we are a pastor. And that's when burnout and struggle happens. I I just, I feel like it's been so uh, in, in kind of where in the season we're in, it, it's been really, it's been harder for me to remember that I'm a person. Like I, I've mm. noticed, I've really forgotten that. I feel like the, the, the pastor role has felt a little bit more um, almost like demanding it in my face opposed to allowing myself to be reminded, like 
he went, I, I don't know if you remember, uh, he said, you know, it's okay to, to tell someone like, I can't meet with you. I'm too tired. And I was like, huh, I've, yes, yes. I've, I've actually used that a few times, but it almost feels, it feels bizarre to say, even when I say that it's like, I shouldn't say this. And so mm-hmm. I, that was just a real encouragement to me, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So many, so many good things. It, it actually made me, uh, pull out my rule of life and kind of dust it off. Yeah. It again. Um, and I feel like, uh, yeah, just the way that he, he really talked about. And, and again, I think this is the theme that we've picked up over, you know, the six seasons we've been doing this. And it's that, look, this isn't rocket science, right? The, 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 there's no secret at the end of the tunnel. It's just a matter of being faithful and having these simple daily rhythms that bring life and joy and hope. And so, yeah, I just really appreciated the conversation. Even his thoughts on Sabbath as a rule of life, you know, he says the fastest way out, <laughs> mm. the way out of burnout or the way out of insanity, which I really appreciated. I mean, we, we, you know, we touched with him about obscurity and I found it so interesting. He said, you know, of all the chapters that people talk about that one, they talk about the most, yeah. which I find so fascinating, you know, can I minister without being noticed? But, um, but also when he talked about power. And we, you know, this idea of power, we've seen this, the power of abuse of celebrity pastors of large churches. And it happens, not just celebrity pastors, it happens at medium-sized churches and small churches. They just don't hit the news like big mega churches do. Um, but when he talked about power, he said, it's a strong drink that someone slipped into the punch and uh, we don't realize it till we're two or three drinks in. I'm like, wow, like that's a, that's a powerful, no pun intended, powerful metaphor. That's going to stick with me for a while that we drink the punch only to realize like someone has slipped it in. And yet at the same time, it, you know, I, I'd probably want to nuance that a little bit because sometimes uh, we really know what's been slipped in the, in the punch and we like how it tastes. And so we keep drinking it. Uh, yeah. So it's a little bit of both uh, on that, but it is intoxicating, right? People talk about power as intoxicating, which goes with this metaphor as well. When we get a little tipsy. Um, we start making decisions that, um, that aren't rational, which is what happens when you, when, when you drink too much. So I just yeah. appreciated his reflections on, on power and obscurity and how Sabbath actually is a counterbalance to that power by being more obscure and by producing less, by being less visible to our people um, that we actually become more obscure. Yeah. And even from, even from his personality, he said, you know, as, even as a, I think he said, I'm, I'm more of a gentle, like I, I've been given the grace of more of gentleness. Like I'm a gentle person, but even him noticing that power dynamic. I think it's just, yeah, it's that, it's that thing like, look, if, if you're laid back and relaxed or if you're really type A or type B, like it's all there. I mean, this is not just for those who are really trying to be something for the kingdom. It's for all of us. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Doug, what are some resources uh, that we want to give to our listeners today? Yeah, I mean, obviously his book. Uh, for JR to say uh, that, and and for myself too, look, if, if you're a church pastor, if you're a church planner, this needs to be like the prerequisite of your first three weeks of thinking about moving this direction or even just being in being a church planner, being a pastor, but planning a church without losing your soul. Um, if, if we had a, uh, a, a book of the year award, I think we could potentially say for church planning and for the health of your own soul, this there's just there's nothing else so good um and then the second one is is a book that he mentioned and many of us have heard of richard foster 
and we think celebration of discipline or we think of his 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 huge work on prayer there's so many good things but kind of the the unknown powerful book that foster put out uh back in the 80s was a book called money sex and power uh the challenge of the disciplined life and and it's actually been changed the title now is the challenge of disciplined life reflection uh christian reflections on money sex and power but um it's a fantastic book. If you have not read it, uh, I, yeah, we highly recommend picking that up. If you're a Foster fan and you haven't seen it, what did you say, Jared? How many reviews on Amazon was it for that? Yeah, not that, just a fraction of the other. We all know about Celebration of Discipline, again, his book on prayer, but this one, people are like, what? He wrote a book like this? So it's, it, if you have enjoyed Richard Foster, if you've yeah. been impacted by any of his works or any of his writings, pick this up. This is fantastic because um, yeah, I mean, power, sex, and money. I mean, these three things we talk about in my doctoral classes with Dr. Dr. Ellis, and she was just saying, like, Satan is powerful, but he's very uncreative. Mm. And she said he only uses these three elements just in various shades and additions and variations and expressions, but it always comes back to power, sex, and money. Mm. And uh, so, anyway, it just makes me think about all the idols, and you can trace back to these three. And I love that Foster you know, talked about this, that if we want to live the disciplined life, we need to learn how to wrestle with power, sex. So yeah. anyway, yeah. And, and, and uh, if, if you're like a super book nerd, try to get the first edition because <laughs> the picture of Richard Foster on the back is just worth it. Like, <laughs> he's such a child. <laughs> it's so good. So Doug, give the title one more time since I know it was changed. We want to make sure we're clear yeah. for our yeah. So, so look for either money, sex, and power, or look for the challenge of the disciplined life. Those are the two titles that you can search for. Yeah, great. And as far as some questions we want to give to you, you know, he talked about, Tim talked about the difference between being a warehouse and being a warehouseman or warehouse woman. And so just that idea of uh, which are you? And if you are a warehouse, what would it look like for you to move from being a warehouse to a warehouseman or a warehouse woman? I love the image that you talked about the forklift. Mm. So what does it mean for you to get on your forklift and be a warehouseman or warehouse woman and not just a warehouse? So that's number one. Number two, uh, again, we talked about obscurity, but I think this is so important, especially since Tim said that this was the most frequent feedback that he's getting of what's helpful about the book. So we want to ask um, what he asked and the title of that chapter on obscurity, can I minister without being noticed? And pastors don't answer that too quickly. I want you to just sit with that this week, maybe even process that with some other friends or your spouse or in in a time of journaling this week. Can I minister without being noticed? And the third he talked about when he when he um, coaches church planners, um, and I think this applies to church planners and pastors and anyone doing kingdom work uh, in some sort of practitioner uh, sort of way. Um, He said um, we say they need to be in therapy or spiritual uh, spiritual direction. So here's the third question, listeners. Therapy or spiritual direction? Which one for you? And if you say, I'm not involved in any of those, uh, we really want to strongly encourage you as a resource, but as a, as a life-saving element of your own soul, pick therapy or spiritual direction. Doug, you have done both. I've engaged in both. Um, both have been wildly helpful uh, for us in ministry. And so those are the three questions. So Doug, lead us out with the benediction here. Yeah. So brothers and sisters, as you go, may you be reminded that you are loved, not because you're a pastor, but you're loved because you're a person. Uh, Our prayer for you is that you are reminded that it's okay to be a person. In fact, that's actually what you are first and you are a pastor second. 
Um, as you go, may you be encouraged and emboldened and challenged to pay attention to what's happening on the internal spaces of your soul. And may you find the freedom and the fast way out of the burnout by Sabbath and solitude and silence. Be blessed to be a blessing, my friends.